Hello and welcome to this podcast from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and following a podcast before Christmas last year, in which we featured the book choices of two members of the staff of Blackwell's in Oxford, today my guests come from Heifer's Bookshop in Cambridge. Richard Osborne will be making his non-fiction choices later in the programme, but we start with Richard Reynolds' selection of new crime fiction. I'll let Richard introduce himself. My name is Richard Reynolds. I've worked here for nearly 31 years, and I now look after crime fiction. I look after fiction and travel memoirs and uh, biography, uh, helping to look after. And I now spend a lot of my time looking and researching for crime fiction. I also, out of hours, do quite a lot of research and helping out with uh, chairing the Gold Dagger panel for the Crime Writers Association and a few other that sort of related things. And could you hazard a guess as to how many crime novels pass before your eyes in, a, in an average year? <laughs> um, a frightening amount, really. I know for the Gold Dagger we received up over 200 titles and I should think in any given period, I don't know, about two, 3,000 new titles, I should think, oh, and reissues. Um, and we're bringing in titles from America a lot of the time, so reissues of classics from, you know, anywhere from the 1920s upwards. So that's really exciting too. So with that volume of new publishing passing before you every year, what, what is it that makes something stand out? What, what, what gets your antennae sort of vibrating? Well, just something a bit different, really, something a bit quirky. Just recently there's been the Hitman's Guide to House Cleaning, which when I heard the title I thought it must be worth investigating. So we've uh, got that in stock uh, by an Icelandic writer. And just it's just that first page, really. You read that first page and you sort of think, is this a bit different? Is this, you know, pushing the boundaries? Or is it something too violent? You know, you get a lot, an awful lot of violent books in the first two or three pages and you sort of think yes too much violence not nothing left to the imagination and that sort of spoils it um so um but it's mostly the quirky read i enjoy and especially mysteries from the 1930s which are reissued i'm really passionate about that period in time so um you know, there's a lot of books now. Fortunately, the publishers are reissuing, so that's tremendous. What is your view on the on the Nordic wave? Where where, where do you think we are in the in the sort of cycle of um, the passion for Nordic crime? Well, we're no yet we're yet finished. I I don't think there's an awful lot to come, or a lot being signed up apparently. And I think I was asked this the other day, and I, I thought that uh, together with Scandinavia and the Italian sort of books in translation. Uh, there's an awful lot coming that way as well and I think eventually we'll see more sort of Latin American Spanish and there's quite a lot of French at the moment so you know it's a really exciting time Um, and I think with things like The Killing being on TV and now The Bridge that sort of prompted a lot of interest and also with those folk translating these books people are now looking at which books the translators will be doing next and reading if they like a particular translator say for Andrea Camilleri the Italian writer's books that's Stephen Sartorelli he has now started translating Marco Vici's book another Italian writer and we're up to book three there and Camilleri we're up to book 13 so that's great and I think for the Scandinavian lot with Nesbo You've got uh, Don Bartlett, who's busy translating those, and um, 
you know, he's done a, a few more sort of standard fiction writers, and I've just drawn up lists for these areas, which we sort of pass out, you know, quite a few every week. Uh, so that sort of generates that interest too. So that's good. Now, tell me, Richard, from your your two or three thousand novels that you've you've seen in the last year, you've you've picked a couple of summer reading choices. So, tell me what the first one is and why you've chosen it. Well, the first one is S. J. Bolton's Dead Scared, uh, just published. She's written four other novels, uh, and one was shortlisted for the Gold Dagger Prize two years ago. That was uh, a tremendous read. That was set in uh, a small town, sort of Yorkshire. That just had a, a great sort of feel-good factor about it, but uh, sort of ranking up the suspense all the way through it. That was Blood Harvest, a uh, tremendous read, but this one is set in Cambridge, and um, I can easily say the level of tension in this book slowly becomes unbearable. Uh, it's, it involves a spate of suicides here at the university, and um, and that, in its sense, is not only alarming, but the police aren't convinced that the victims acted alone, believing someone is homing in on their lonely and secure and coercing them to take their own lives, or playing a very dastardly game by luring them to end it all. And so into that sort of situation comes DC Lacey Flint, who first appeared in uh, uh, an earlier book, Now You See Me, and she's been recruited by uh, D.I. Mark Dewsbury to sort of involve herself in student life and get close and gain the trust of those who are close to the victims. And her only contact is a college psychiatrist, Evie Oliver, who herself appeared <laughs> in an earlier novel, The Blood Harvest, which I've just mentioned. Uh, she's her sort of confidant, and together they're desperate to uncover why particularly female students are ending it all and they soon become sort of under attack and um, a desperate game of cat and mouse ensues. I mean it's right to the very last page it's sort of nail-biting and uh, it's good to see the return of Lacey Flint and it's a, a sort of very good story. And your second choice? Well, moving from that sort of uh, side of life, we move to uh, the Golden Age, which again, I've mentioned the sort of um, classic stories of uh, Agatha Christie, Marjorie Allingham, Edmund Crispin, Gladys Mitchell, and A.A. Milne with the Red House Mystery. We now have joining those ranks, Nicholas Blake, who, as the uh, poet laureate C. Day Lewis, was a schoolmaster in his early days. and. Um, one day needing some money to pay a leaky roof, he thought, well, you know, what do I do best? I write. And so he produced this first mystery, which is called A Question of Proof. And I'm glad to say it's just been brought back into print by Vintage Random House. It's a really terrific early, well, first book in the series. It involves really the faculty and uh, student body at a Sudley school are shocked but scarcely saddened when their headmaster's obnoxious nephew, Algernon Waven Weems, is found dead in a haystack on sports day. And the young English master, Michael Evans, is one of the first people to be suspected, but he's greatly relieved when his clever friend and poet, Nigel Strangeways, himself um, a schoolmaster, who is beginning to make a name for himself as a private inquiry agent, shows up a, to lend a hand to the local constabulary, who are pretty ineffectual 
and Nigel Strangeway is faced with a raft of suspects amongst the staff. So it's a it's a good sort of um, gentle romp, really, but a great opening to the series. And I love these books. There are another fifteen in the series, so and they're all about to be reissued. So that's tremendous. It's a, it's a good a good period for fans of the Golden Age. Oh yeah, very much so. Yes, and there's there's loads more books which could be reissued. Uh, we've brought back into print through a small publisher, uh, our Stara books, some great classics, and a lot set in Cambridge. Um, we have things like the Punt Mystery and the um, the uh, Boat Race Murders, and um, Cambridge Murders, um, so lots of good stuff there, really. And I'm always looking for other books to see brought back into print. Um, you know, especially when you know that the perpetrator is going to receive their or his or her comeuppance uh, at the close of the book. So uh, that's very exciting. And and finally, Richard, any anything glimmering on the horizon you're excited about, be it a reissue or a, a new author who's who's perhaps being launched in the autumn or anything that you've got in proof that you you think might be big? Oh, gosh. Well, there's a book uh, coming at the end of May by James Runsey, which is uh, The Grantchester Murders, which looks to be very good. I've read part of it, and I'm really enjoying it. There's a new Andre Camilleri coming at the end of the May, too. I'm really... Uh, I've just seen from Rue Morgue Press in America, there's a new Gladys Mitchell, or reissue of Gladys... Mitchell called Laurels Are Poison which was published quite a few years ago and then more recently in the 1960s by the Hogarth Press and there's another Edmund Crispin who, which isn't published by Vintage here but is published by an outfit called Felony and Mayhem in America and that's called Glimpses of the Moon so I'm delighted to see that coming back into print So lo- lots to look forward to Yes, lots to look forward to Yes, indeed and um, Onwards and upwards. Oh, I could just mention there's a new Alison Bruce. She's a local author and she has her novels set in Cambridge. Cambridge Blue was her first one, a very good book. And in July will be the fourth one. And that's something to look forward to, too. Richard Reynolds. Full details of all the titles he mentioned are on the podcast page of the Blackwell Online website. My second guest is non fiction buyer from Heifer's Academic Basement, Richard Osborne. Here he is introducing himself. Hello, my name is Richard Osborne. I work in the humanities department in the basement at Heffers. It's the academic department. I work mostly with history, politics, philosophy books. Uh, I've been doing it for a long, long time now. I do most of the buying for those subjects. And they are also the subjects I'm most interested in. The whole. And you've chosen three books, Richard. Um, which are recent recent publications in, in paperback. Tell me what the first one is and why you've chosen it. I'll start with a history book. It's a book called The Great Sea by David Abilafia. Abilafia is a Cambridge professor. He's, he's just down the road at Keyes College. He's actually a professor of Mediterranean history. And The Great Sea is a history of the Mediterranean. So we, we have here one of the world's leading experts writing his life's work on, on, on his own subject. It's a towering work, really. It's, it's a huge sweep of history going from prehistoric times through to the present day, covering the whole of the Mediterranean and its history. And most significantly, I think it's a, it's a human history of the Mediterranean. So there's a nice quote inside from one of the reviewers, Dominic Sandbrook, in fact, who says, 
Every page is rich in humanity. It's full of intrepid explorers, anxious pilgrims, enterprising merchants, ambitious politicians, and terrified refugees. It's a treasure trove, he calls it. It's one of those great sweeps of history books that, that takes in you know, the whole of humanity, really. So maybe the one to knock Brodel off his perch. Interestingly, he talks about Brodel. He talks about how Brodel, very positively about Brodel, and how he tried to find a unifying force in the Mediterranean, whereas Abulafia is really emphasising diversity. So he's talking about the, the huge diversity of cultures, and peoples and religions that, that have been focused on the Mediterranean. So the sort of thing maybe a history lover might take to take to the Mediterranean in the summer. That's exactly what I had in mind. I think if, you, if you're going to sit on a beach for two weeks in, in Greece or anywhere else in the Mediterranean, this will be the book to have with you. Excellent. Now tell me about your second choice. Uh, I'll move on to some politics now. This is a book called Vulture's Picnic by a guy called Greg Pallast. Uh, if you haven't come across Greg Pallast, he's an investigative reporter based in America, based in New York, but he does occasionally work for um, Newsnight and for The Observer. Comes out the UK quite a lot. I've met him. He's 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 a great character. He's larger than life. He's completely in your face. He's, he's quite mad. Vulture's Picnic is an expose of the oil industry and of corruption in high places. That might sound a little bit dull. It's not in the least. It's not a bit dry. It, it's like um, it's a bit like Hunter S. Thompson meeting Woodward and Bernstein. You know, he's spent his life really looking at the oil industry and exposing it. And in this book, he's looking at things like uh, the Deepwater disaster and earlier uh, earlier oil spills, which have been pretty much covered up by the oil industry. And he's getting to the bottom of, of who's to blame for those things. And generally, the, the, the blame he finds is, is corporate corruption. And obviously, it's up to you how far you take ballast and how far you, how far you believe him. But it's, it's, it's a great read, even if you're not totally totally taken in by his viewpoint it's an exciting reading it reads more like a thriller than a than some kind of dry expose of, of business practices i think you would be quite i think if you know nothing of the oil business industry you would be quite shocked by some of the revelations in this book and, and presumably he goes into the relationship of um the, the oil industry with political power absolutely yeah yeah that's one of his one of his main themes really is um connections between the the industry between big business big oil and finance industry and governments and does fracking get a look in? Not in this book. No, it, this is mostly to do with deep sea drilling. And your third book is Chavs. Chavs, indeed. Chavs came out a year or so back, written by a guy called Owen Jones, who I don't think anybody had heard of before then, and took everybody by surprise, really, I think. It was very cleverly marketed. The, the, the cover's a very striking, plain white cover with the word Chavs written across it in, in big, bold black type and a single Burberry cap just perched on one of the letters. A lot of people picked it up, I think, expecting some kind of joke book. And then they saw the subtitle, which is The Demonization of the Working Class, and looked at it a bit more closely. And I think a lot of people realised that this is a book that needed to be written, a book whose time had come. Is basic thrust of the book is that the working class since um, since Thatcher's government and by all governments since the working class have been progressively demonised in society until we got to the point where there's really the one section of society you can still insult gratuitously and get away with. 
And that's summed up by the word chavs, isn't it? It's summed up by the word chavs. We spend quite a lot of time talking about the word chavs and the implications of it. But obviously he's not using it as an insult. He's using it to uh, to stand in for the, way the working class. That's been... Perceptions of the working class have changed in recent years. I think it's nicely summed up by somebody else's quote, which was um, from from, scum, from salt of the earth to scum of the earth in 30 years. And and what kind of read is the book? It's it's a pretty easy read, really. He's um, he's a researcher, I think, Jones, originally, and a journalist. And he writes as a journalist, so it's, there's not an awful lot of heavy analysis in it. it. It's a lot of quotes from other other journalists and other other sources, a lot of anecdotal evidence, and some very good stories in there, some very funny stories, um, but a lot of very telling stories. It's it's not in the least bit dry, but it's the accumulation of evidence in it is, is pretty convincing, I think. Richard Osborne. Don't worry if you didn't catch all of the names and titles mentioned in the programme. You'll find links to all of them on the podcast page of the Blackwell website. You'll also find a podcast archive there with over 150 author interviews. I hope that this podcast has given you some ideas for your summer reading. Do join me again soon for the next programme, in which I'll be talking to psychologist Elaine Fox about her fascinating research into optimism and pessimism. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.